In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a great gospel we have today. There are many things, many things in this wonderful passage. The hearers of Jesus' words in our gospel in his own time were one of shock. Their minds were blown by what Jesus said in this gospel. As Christians, we hear it and we think, well, we've heard along the way that you don't want to be like the Pharisees, so what's the big deal? But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were at the very center of religious life. They were the people who knew the law, who excelled in the law, who taught the law, and they were the people who actually did it. They were the good guys. They were the people that they looked up to them. So what about us? They tithed. Who, who among us tithes anymore, right? I mean, it's a smaller number. So if you look at all of the things that are listed that the Pharisees are doing, they are many, many good things. And Jesus even said, Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not be entering the kingdom of heaven. That's for another day. But just to set the stage, because in Jesus' time, the Pharisee is the apparent good guy. The good, upstanding citizen who has done his duty, who does things right, does not do things wrong. And then this tax collector shows up. He should be standing far off because nobody likes him because he is in cahoots with the Roman Empire. Everybody hates the government. And he's a fellow Jew, but he is really in line with the Roman Empire. And he skims off all of his taxes to make himself rich. And then he gets to do whatever he wants to do because he's a fat cat and everybody hates the tax collector. Boom. Jesus says, because the tax collector humbly asked God for forgiveness, he went home vindicated that day and not the Pharisee. People are saying, what? Wait a second. That's not right. It can't work like that. So when we hear these words, we just don't have those sentiments. We just don't have any sort of that emotional connection. It's hard for us to understand how provocative the words of Jesus would have been in the hearers of his own day and time. One way to sort of get into that mindset is to speak about a short story by Flannery O'Connor. It's called Revelation. Revelation. Mrs. Turpin shows up and is seated in the doctor's office. She is a a well-known person in her community. She's done everything right. She has a good reputation. The problem, though, with Miss Turpin is in the doctor's office, she begins to look around at all of the different sorts and conditions of people, and she's not really pleased with what she sees. She thinks that there's sort of a lot of riffraff in the office, and she's sort of perturbed that she has to sit here with all the common folk and the riffraff. And so 
she uh, extends herself and she starts to talk to a woman named Mary Grace. She is going on and on about how she just doesn't understand people these days. And she finally says this. Miss Turpin says, if it's one thing I am, it's grateful when I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, I just feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. It could have been different, but oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you. Mary Grace could not stand it any longer, and she threw the book into Mrs. Turpin's eye, blackened the eye, but strangely enough, the Holy Spirit that lives in Mrs. Turpin took that as a sign from God. The same Holy Spirit that works in our spirit and souls began to work on Mrs. Turpin. She began to reflect on her pride, on how she looked down on others, on all of this spiritual pride that was going on inside of her. Well, she finally got angry at God. She says, if you like trash better, go get yourself some trash then. Exactly how am I like them? These are great words, aren't they? You should go read this, Flannery O'Connor. A final surge of fury shakes her and she cries out to God, who do you think you are? The people that heard these words probably said that to Jesus. Who do you think you are? Talking about these Pharisees and the tax collectors vindicated. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Well, Miss Turpin came around, though, because she began to see that she had a lot of pride. There is a great, long history and tradition of working and, and speaking against pride in the Christian tradition. John Stott says, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. And so this pride is the desire to lift and exalt ourselves beyond our place as God's creatures and to look down on others. There's something called a spiritual darkness and a blindness that goes with pride. There's a psychological inversion that happens where we think that God becomes smaller and smaller and we become larger and larger and we become the center of our gravity, the center of the world. People exalt themselves against God and over against others. These are the summary of pride, an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God. Toward others is an attitude of contempt and indifference. C.S. Lewis said that pride was a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Now, I could go on and on and on for hours because the Christian tradition speaks about pride for 2,000 years now. 
That's not even taking account what the Jewish uh, authors said. But you know, the strange thing is this. You don't hear much about pride anymore. And the reason we don't hear much about it is because it has snuck into the very center of our culture. Imagine how entertainment would look if pride wasn't at the very center of it. Imagine of what media would look like if pride wasn't at the center of it. And nowadays we have to just admit, imagine what religious entertainment would look like without pride at the very center of it. Pride exalting yourself, lifting yourself up, showing yourself off, being the center of everything, that's the center of our whole culture. It didn't used to be that way, but for my generation and the generation after me, oh, it is that way. Your whole life needs to be on, on the phone, right? I mean, you need to tell everybody about it. So in reviewing these teachings about pride, uh, I have to just say for myself, pride is, this spiritual pride is insidious. And it's something that I have to work against because it will just creep up on you. Anytime that you want to make any advance in the spiritual life and you have any success, well, I'm going to join a Bible study. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to do these things. Oh, watch out. Pride will be just right there and saying, yes, indeed, you're such a fine person. You're not like all those other people that are out running around having brunch, having fun. You're right here in church. You see, pride is insidious. It's almost a cancer. Now, humility, humility is different. Humility is not being blinded by pride, but being able to see reality, yourself, and others the way that God sees them. Being able to see reality according to God. And if we knew ourselves according to God, we would be right there with the tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Because that's all you'd have. That's all I have. Just all I have is the Lord have mercy. I have nothing to commend myself to God in reality, in God's reality. When we see others, we just see a fellow struggler, a fellow traveler. They're not any better than we are. They're not any worse than we are. We just have different situations. I used an illustration, uh, because I don't write these sermons out, I used an illustration at 8 o'clock about when we walk into Walmart. What happens when we walk into Walmart? Often we look around and we realize quickly that we are surrounded by people that have a different level of education, a different economic background, a different social background, and there's nothing wrong with noticing that because that's reality, isn't it? That's the truth. We are from different backgrounds. We are from different places. But the moment that we see ourselves as better than the other, 
we have been captured by the spiritual cancer called pride. So how do we get out of pride and into humility? How do we take away this blindness of pride and see reality according to God, to see ourselves and to see others the way that God sees us? Well, the first thing we should probably do is we should not compare ourselves to others. We have to compare ourselves with Christ. If we compare ourselves with Christ, we'll be with the tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. The next thing that we probably need to do is to pray for the desire to have humility. We need God to help us even want to be humble. It's so a part of our human nature. It's so a part of our human nature that we have to ask God to help us even want humility versus pride. The next thing would be to be ready for opportunities for humility. If we're going to pray that God would grant us humility, that he would give us a desire for it, we should be ready for the opportunities to be humble, which would mean we don't need to think this way once we have that thought. We don't need to lash back at this person. We have to be ready to serve without complaining and without patting ourselves on the back when we do it. <laughs> you see how insidious pride is? It's just waiting for a chance. Lastly, we have to admit that we can't overcome spiritual pride apart from Jesus himself. We have to have Christ and the Spirit in us in order to have this type of humility. Because Christ himself is divine humility. It is Christ who came out of the divine throne into our embodiedness, into our humanity. It is Christ who stepped down and stooped and washed the disciples' feet as a servant. It is Christ in his humility that even goes further down and is crucified for us, for prideful people, for sinners. And Jesus goes even further down in humility by sharing our death, by dying in and with us. And then, thanks be to God, he raises us all up in the resurrection. And that's the good news. And in baptism, which we had one, Zoe Bagley got baptized at 9 o'clock. And that old life of pride and sin was cut off and a new life was given to her. A new life has been given to us. This life of Christ, the humble servant, the life of the spirit, the spirit of loving humility in order to work with us, to transform us, to move us into the kingdom of God. And so we have to admit that this is not just a reformation project. We're not just going to do a few things and be a little nicer, a little less verbal. That's not what it's about. That pride is 
stronger than we are. That pride is, in fact, demonic. And we have to have a power inside of us that is more powerful than pride. And the only power stronger than pride is, in fact, God himself. So Christ and the Spirit in us that we may have humble and divine love in our hearts. It is the focus, my focus, to find a way out of all spiritual pride. And only Christ is going to do it. And so I have to come to this altar. We have to come to this altar to receive the divine, humble love of Christ himself to take us into humility, to divine, humble love that we may be with him all our days and say, Lord, have mercy. Amen.